All right, well, in the past uh, couple of weeks, we've been talking about being a leader. I hope this doesn't squeal, don't squeal, don't squeal. All right. Uh, We've been talking about being a leader, and we've looked at a lot of points, and in your program, you see that um, there's a ton of stuff we've seen just in the first chapter of Titus. Um, And it's important to know that Paul is talking to Titus, Paul being the, the leader of really evangelism in the new church, and he was on the island of Crete, and then he took off for whatever reason, and he said, Titus, you take over from here. I want you to pick up my slack and pick up where I left off. Um, And what we have found is that Paul calls us, Paul calls Titus, and God calls us to be leaders. You are a leader. Whether you know it or not, whether you say, eh, Jason, I'm not a, I'm not a leader, I'm, I'm really not, you're lying to yourself because you are. Someone looks up to you. Someone admires you. Someone looks at you and says, man, that is an awesome quality. I would love to have that. And it doesn't matter how old you are. My, my daughter, Sage, can be a leader. All right? Now, she doesn't understand it or know it. But she can be a leader. You look at my son, Eli, that boy, I mean, he, he tries to lead us, you know. He's, Mama, come here, come here, you know. He's got that raspy voice like he's been smoking for, you know, 40 years. And he's like, Mama, come here, you know. It's like, where are you getting this, boy? And, and, and Ty, my oldest son, he's, he's a, a much more laid-back kid. He's very, you know, just kind of goes with the flow. And Eli bosses him around a lot of times. But what happens is Ty has different leadership qualities of his own. And sometimes when when those leadership qualities come out, he'll stand up to Eli and he'll go, no, no, you know. And uh, so it's really funny to see, even at that age, these leadership qualities that come out in people and in children. and, and, And so you need to understand, you are a leader. You are not a leader because, you know, you want people to look at you, you are a leader and God has made you a leader so that people can look through you, so that people can see you, but when they see you, they see Christ. You are not a leader because of who you are, but because of who God has made you. Everybody with me? That makes sense? Because this is important. You at some point made a choice to follow Jesus Christ, and the choice to surrender your life is probably one of the greatest leadership decisions that you can ever make. It's one thing for somebody to step up and say, I want to do it my way. It's another thing for someone to step up and say, I'm going to surrender and sacrifice my life for a cause that is greater than anything else. I'm going to surrender my life for the cause and the work of Jesus Christ. Everybody with me so far? So last week we... We looked at uh, how leaders, if you are a leader, you have to confront sin. And, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those deals where when you're in that situation, um, it really defines your leadership. You can be confronted with sin, and, and you can be in a group, and everybody will be looking at you, whether they're directly looking at you or not. They're wondering how you will react, because you have a relationship with your Heavenly Father. This is a moment in leadership that will make or break leadership in people's eyes for you. Does that make sense? It is, it is a critical, pivotal point in leadership. So you must confront sin. That's what we talked about last week. Um, this past week, we, 
we lost an, a really an incredible leader um, in John Wooden. Y'all know who John Wooden is? John Wooden was one of the greatest basketball coaches and players of all time. He coached until 1975. That was before I was even born. All right? But he became known more for being an incredible leader than anything else. He wrote this book, and he actually has this big pyramid of leadership. And, you know, it's really confusing when you look at it. You're like, you know, I'm like, I can't keep up with this. I'll just follow Jesus and let him lead me. How about that? You know, and, and John Wooden, he was a Christian, um, and he had some incredible quotes. Um, when he taught his basketball players, for instance, when he said, be more connected, be more concerned with your character than your reputation. Because your character is what you really are, while your reputation is merely what others think you are. Isn't that true? Isn't that right? Everybody with me? Everybody with John? All right. So, here's another one. It's what you learn after you know it all that counts. Uh, I love that one. Because, you know, I, I'm, I'm there. I know it all. And, and now I've got to learn, you know, some more. It's, no. All right. And then, I love this one. Material possessions, winning scores, and great reputations are meaningless in the eyes of the Lord. Because He knows what we really are. And that is all that matters. I mean, this is a coach that coached some big-time names at UCLA. Uh, he had something like, uh, what, 12 national championships, seven in a row. He coached Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Look at this guy. Look at that. That's back in the, uh, that's, that's uh, pre-airplane days right there. Y'all know that? Anybody with me? Airplane the movie? Roger, Roger. Huh? Okay. All right. He coached uh, Bill Walton. Look at that. I mean, that guy. Who wears short shorts? You know, I mean, the guy... John Wooden can't be more than five foot six. I mean, he just looks tiny compared to Bill Walton. And then here's a, here's a photo when they, uh, I guess it's when they retired their jerseys at uh, UCLA. They're looking a little older. Um, so that's, that's kind of cool. But he invested in these guys' lives, not just to teach them basketball. I mean, he was a great basketball coach, and everybody wanted to go to UCLA because he was a great basketball coach, but he invested in their lives and, and made them into great leaders. Do you ever hear about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Bill Walton, you know, getting into trouble? It's, it's rare. It's very rare. I mean, these guys, as far as we know, they're model citizens, right? He had a huge, huge impact on their life. He took their lives and he invested in them, not just with basketball, but in leadership. And so many of you are leaders. And many of you, we're going to look today, um, Paul's talking to Titus about different groups that we may end up having to lead. Um, for instance, uh, for those of y'all that know uh, Michelle Scanduro, Laura, Laura's sister here. I don't know if y'all know this, but Michelle is a high school principal. She doesn't, you know, she doesn't act like it when she comes to church, um, like you would think of. My high school principal was like, I'm going to kill you. You know, he just gave me the look like, ah, you know, I was like, ah, you run away from him. But Michelle, you know, I, I, I don't know what she's like at school, but she doesn't seem like a high school principal. But as a high school principal, you've got a lot of groups that you're over. She still teaches a couple of classes, right? She's, she's got a couple of classes, so she's got some high school kids that she's leading. And, and these girls really look up to her. They, I mean, it's incredible. We, we, we meet people and we know, my wife and I know some of these girls that have been under her, under her leadership and in her classes, and they just admire her. But it's not just that. She's also in charge of the teachers. 
that all these high school teachers, younger, older, she has to lead them and teach them in many ways. And, and that's tough. That's really hard, especially when you've got one of those teachers that's got tenure and, you know, he or she's like, oh, I know how it's done. And I'm not saying that this is how it works. I haven't heard any stories. But, you know, you just think someone like that who's been there forever, they just, you know, she's got to teach these people. Not only that, but she's got to teach and kind of train and coach the parents themselves. You know, if these kids get in trouble, she's got to be the one to break the news to them that, you know, hey, your kid's a thug, you know. We need, we need to do something about this. Hey, we're going to have to kick your kid out because he's continually being a thug, you know, that kind of thing. And, but it's not just bad stuff, it's good stuff too. Some of these parents really admire her. There are different groups that she is in leadership. When I was a youth pastor, um, which was uh, just a few years stint until I got completely worn out, I, I, I ran out of energy. Um, but when I was a youth pastor... I learned real quick that 75% of my ministry was to the parents of the children, the parents of the kids, and not to the kids themselves. I saw the kids at lunch. I saw the kids um, when they came to church, when, when we had you know, groups that we invested in. I saw the parents all the time. I mean, I'm out at the grocery store. I'm driving down the road. It was a, you know, a small town, Hope, Arkansas, you know, home of childhood home of Bill Clinton, you know, you pass by it every day. I'm like, hey, Bill. You know, he, he didn't live there. They just made a museum. Anyway, so, so you know, I'm, I'm just driving down the road, and people are, like, honking at me, wanting me to pull over, you know, just to talk. And I'm investing in these parents, you know. I'm wondering if they've got a shotgun. They're going to hurt me. But I'm investing in these parents more than I, it seems like more than I was investing in their kids. And there are different groups that you're going to realize in your life that you are going to minister to. And different groups call for different leaders. Different groups call for different leadership styles. And Paul's going to address this in the next few verses. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Titus is a small book to the, uh, to the right of First uh, and Second Timothy, uh, to the left of Philemon or Hebrews. So if you find either one of those, uh, hang a left. Um, but we're going to jump in. If you need a Bible, we've got some in the back as well. So feel free to just to hop up. We're, we're laid back. Uh, hop up and grab one. All right, verse 1 of chapter 2. Verse 1 of chapter 2. We just come off of this, uh, of this uh, paragraph where Paul is talking about people who, who are they're thugs. We'll call them that, all right? They're, they're people who are trying to get into the church. They're people who are, who are worming their way into the church and causing problems. And so Paul is telling Titus now in verse 1, he says, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Don't be like these other people. You teach what's in accord with sound doctrine. Titus must teach, Titus must lead with sound doctrine. Now what does sound doctrine mean? It means something that gives you stability spiritually. This is sound doctrine right here. Now Titus didn't have a book that he could put together. He had the Old Testament, maybe, maybe a little bit of New Testament stuff, but probably not. And so he is told by Paul in this letter, remember this, this is a letter not written to me or you, but it applies to me or you, me and you, to Titus. And he says, teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. He says, Titus, you've got a responsibility to stick to the script. Don't start wavering, don't, I didn't leave you here so you could go off on your own. 
you stick to the script. Y'all, y'all know how movies, modern movies and, and TV shows are done nowadays? They give an actor a script, and it's only the lines of that actor um, and the actor or character that they are interacting with. They don't have the whole story. They don't know the whole story so that everything can be kept a secret and that kind of thing. And Paul is telling Titus to do the same thing. Here, here's what you are to do. God's got the master plan. He's got the master script. We don't know how things are going to work out specifically. Here's what we do know. In the end, God wins. That's good, right? Let's be on the winning side. Nobody wants to be a loser. All right? So in the end, God wins. God's got the master script. Here are your lines, Titus. You stick to sound doctrine. You stick to what you know. Now listen, Titus had influence. Paul left him. He had influence. And that's one of the reasons Paul left him. You have influence as well. Think about this. Who is it in your life that you have influence over. And I'm not talking about like you can kick them around or anything like that. You know, I'm not talking about a brother or sister. I'm talking about someone that looks up to you, that, that admires you. Who is it that you have influence over? Because if you have influence, you have a responsibility. And that responsibility is your first point. It is a leader invests in others. You are a leader. You are to invest in others. Jesus invested everything he had in myself, in you, in his boys, the 12 disciples. He invested it all. He left nothing on the table. I mean, he just said, this is everything I am. I'm pouring it all into you. And then when he died on the cross, he said, listen, this is really everything I am. He invested everything in you. And so we have to invest in others. We have to imitate Him and say, okay, who is it that I need to invest in? My little brother, my little sister. Who is it? Friends, family, coworkers, neighbors. Who are you investing in? Because as a leader, you need to invest in others. Verse 2. Teach the older men to be temperate. Teach the older men to be temperate. This word in Greek is kind of like a word like clear-headed. Okay? Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. Older men are to be a model of holiness. Older men are... They... And, and tell me if this is not true. Is it not that older men, when they have these characteristics, they can lead anyone? Anyone looks up to older men. I mean, am, I, am I wrong? I mean, it's like you can, you can look up to older guys and say, man, I'm, my grandfather is about to turn 60. Or no, he's about to turn 80. And he's about to have his 60th. Yeah, y'all are doing the math. You're like, whoa, hey. <laughs> my grandfather's about to turn 80 and... He's about to have his 60th wedding anniversary on the same weekend at the end of July. Really incredible. Um, and he has been through some stuff in his life. He pretty much, he was the second um, sibling out of four, out of five. And he raised, he and his older sister raised his siblings. Because 
His mother died at an early age, um, and his father was, uh, you know, he was an alcoholic, and he was gone most of the time. I mean, years at a time, and then all of a sudden he'd show up. So his older sister took care of the kids while he went to school, or she went to school, everybody went to school, but, but he would go to school, and then he would go to football practice, and then he would work at an uh, auto repair shop um, till late at night, and then he would come home, and he would do whatever needed to be done to help take care of the kids, and then he would do homework, if he had homework. I don't think they had a whole lot of homework back then, but that's what he did. That was his, that was his day. And that's pretty tough. And he did that until he went off uh, and got married to my grandmother. They really eloped. They lived in Mississippi at the time and jetted off to uh, Alabama. And um, (laughs) they eloped and then lived in Birmingham. And it's a great story, except that you think, okay, everything's going to be great now. He started working as a repo man. Well, this is a rough job. Y'all ever seen repo man? And this is back in the old days when... You know, you can't just call up the cops on your cell phone. This is, you go to repo the car, and when the guy comes out and meets you with, you know, a weapon of some sort, you're on your own. And he had to do this several times. My dad was with him one time, and I don't know if I'm supposed to show this. Anyway, but my dad was with him one time, and he said he took a guy down with a gun like it was nothing. So I don't mess with my grandfather. I mean, he's older, he's 80, but, man, I, I still think he could take, take me down. You know, he's, he, he had a rough, a rough job for about 10 years. And then he got on with GM and started working in the admin department. And then they started GMAC, the uh, insurance side. And he worked for GMAC for 35 years. He's been retired now for about 15, 20 years. Now he goes down to the largest basement shop, workshop you've ever seen in your life. It is 2,000 square feet of man heaven. I mean, it is unbelievable. He has, he has uh, all these old tools. You know, these things that are handheld, run on batteries now. He's got them where they're this big and this tall. And he's got four, four or five different motors just in case they go out. Because they don't make them anymore. This is his life now. And when I look at him, and I know what he's gone through, and I see his character, and I see his personality... I attribute these things to him, these temperate, clear-headedness, this respect, this, he's self-controlled, he's sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. I see my grandfather, and I see someone who represents these things very, very well. Now, um, when you look at older people like this, you think, well, you know, time seems to be the key factor with older people, right? You know, the older you live, the the more, uh, the more time you've got to experience things and learn. But that's only part of the picture. Because what it really is, and the background to older people, men or women, learning, is that someone has invested in them. My grandfather had several men that invested in him. And by the time my, my father and his sisters were in their teenage years, my grandfather was getting serious about a relationship with Christ. He had always been a follower of God. But it was time for him to get serious about a relationship with Christ. A leader invests in others. And I'm so thankful that leaders invested in my grandfather, who then invested in my father, who has then invested in me. 
Would you say that you represent these characteristics, man or woman? Do you represent these characteristics, or at least you're on your way? Who do you know that is like this? Who can you look at to say, can I get them to invest in me? You know, just hang out with them. Just let them rub off on me. Maybe I can talk to them and say, can you intentionally just start telling me stuff that you know that I don't? Just disciple me. Verse 3. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Now, older women are to be a model of reverence and train the younger women. It's not good for, for guys to be training younger women, all right? We're going to see in a minute where Titus is, you know, Paul tells Titus, you know, obviously he's like, hey, you teach the older women and then they'll teach the younger women. You know, you, you just kind of chill out. We don't know if he was married or what was going on, but Paul was wise in that. Um, but they're supposed to train the younger women in reverence and humility. Older women are to lead the, the younger women. Um, Brittany... Um, can you come up and share about, uh, grab that mic, you got that mic? Can you come up and share about your grandmother? Um, Brittany's grandmother has, has invested in, in her, and so I wanted her to share that story. Stand right there so we can, yeah, something's going on. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um, well, I come from a family where my grandparents were the only Christian influence in my life, and um, she was actually the one person who, uh, taught me the Bible, taught me about the story of um, Jesus Christ, and gave me a Bible. And um, it wasn't a safe place in my home with my parents to learn about that. And so um, she's always been this this influence in my life that I could go to and talk to and ask questions about. Um, and so not only the knowledge of Christ that she gave me, but she also gave me um, the through her actions, she taught me how to be bold in my faith. And she's a woman who, with everyone she talks to, she talks about Christ. Like, that is the most important thing in her life. She always wants to talk about it. She wants to talk, talk about it to the people at the gas station. Like, she, every time she pumps gas, she'll go to the people pumping gas around her, and she's like, are you really filled up? <laughs> and I, like, when I was little, that would always really embarrass me. But now looking back, it's like, I wish I could be that bold, you know? So her actions throughout my whole life have, have taught me um, that's the only thing worth living for. And everything that we should do, we should glorify God. And so the knowledge she taught me, the boldness and the confidence she taught me, and she also, in the last few years, she's taught me um, how to depend 100% on God, um, which is something we talk about in church a lot. But until you see it done, um, it's hard to really fathom. My grandfather passed away a few years ago when I was in college, and they had been dating since they were 15, got married when they were 19, and they were, they've been in love ever since. And so to lose her best friend and this man who's been on the journey of um, learning about Christ together and to see how, um, how she used it to glorify God has been such an influence on my life um, currently. And she's used it to teach others, and she just recently... Um, she just recently started working for hospice so she could um, teach other people who are in a place of um, loneliness. And 
a lot of people when they when they die or when they're dying they become more spiritual or they have more questions or that you know they haven't been living for christ and then they have these questions of well, what's going to happen now and so because she's had such a powerful experience with death she now can share that with other people and um just answer their questions because she has such a a great foundation of knowledge um, that she can be there for a lot of different people and so um in my life she's She's been that for me in a family where I, it hasn't been very comfortable to go to anyone um, except for her. So, anyway, she's one of my best friends. <laughs> I talk to her every day. And All right. Y'all give uh, Brittany a round of applause. Thank you, Brittany. That's great. Thank you for sharing about uh, your grandmother. And I knew, I knew that, and I met her grandmother, and she's a sweet lady. Um, and um, what, what, what you would notice about a grandmother is her grandmother's not the things that, um, that you see uh, Paul pointing out here. There, she's not, she doesn't seem to be a slanderous or gossip, gossipy type of lady. She doesn't seem to be a, 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 a drunk, you know what I'm saying? Or addicted to much wine. Of course, I only met her once, but uh, hearing from Brittany, I, I think we can pretty much be assured of that. Um, and, and so Paul points out these things. He says, teach, teach them what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Now, here's the problem in the Cretan culture, the island of Crete, the Cretans, which is where the word comes from, they're just, I'm using the word thug a lot today, they're thugs. I mean, we saw last week how they're, they're, uh, they're lazy, they're gluttons, they're, they're drunks, I mean, they're just, they're just boneheads. You know what I'm saying? You're just like, man. And, and Paul is pointing out to, to Titus to tell these older women, you need to teach them how to run a household because they don't have the models to do so correctly in a Christian life. He's not saying, he's not coming out and saying, oh, you know, they need to be subject to their husbands and slaves to their husbands. That's not what he's getting at. He's pointing out, you need to help them understand how to be a mother how to be a wife and be a Christian at the same time. How, how those things are not separate. How they are one and the same. And so Paul is pointing this out to Titus and saying, teach these women how to do it. Now, to do this in an, in an island culture that is so debaucherous, that is so run amok, it takes self-control and it takes some serious godliness. It takes a focus on Christ that you must have or else you are not going to be able to do this. The reputation that these women had stood out in their culture. Just like a reputation that some of you girls have, some of you women have, it stands out in our culture today. It stands out among your friends. It stands out with your coworkers. You're a leader. They know it time for you to know it if you don't. I don't want us to be passive leaders. I want us to be intentional leaders. A leader invests in others. You know who does this well? Who invests in, in some of you girls? Terry Sarchione. She's not here today. Um, Chuck's here, so Chuck represents. Um, but Terry does this really well. She does. I mean, it, it, she's, she's invested in some of you girls. She takes some of you out to lunch. You know, I mean, she does just an incredible job. My wife she, she does an incredible job. Uh, I don't know what y'all talk about, but, I mean, she loves just going out, you know. She may just be trying to get 
lunch and get away from the kids, but whatever. She's investing, you know. She just loves hanging out with you girls and investing in you guys. Now, this last little phrase here says, so that no one will malign the word of God. The whole reason for this behavior, it's not about you. It's about God. We're not doing this and we're not living the way we live so that we can make ourselves look good. It is for Jesus Christ to make him look good. So when people look at you, they look through you and they see Jesus. This is the thing that people see most. Uh, when, when people are gossips and addicts, they tear God's name down. If you are a Christian and you're a gossip and an addict, you need to quit. Stop. Start praying. All right? Start getting rid of that behavior. Let, let the Holy Spirit purge that from you. But listen, because here's what it does. It, it tears his name down. But if you have some of these qualities, this self-control, this purity, this submission, then it represents God correctly. And I'm not talking about ladies. I'm talking for all of us. For me, for you, all of these things represents God correctly. Verse 6, similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set an example for them. Set an example by doing what is good. So he's talking to Titus. Titus, we think Titus is a pretty young man. We don't think he's married. We don't know. He could be. Titus, it's your job to set an example for these guys. You need to step up and show them how to live. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech so that... In uh, soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Now, Titus is supposed to be an example for these young guys. I'm supposed to be an example for you young guys. Our fathers are supposed to be examples for us. And Paul is an example for Titus. Guys, Probably one of the greatest roles in our culture is for us to step up and lead some of these younger guys who are very much well on their way to being punks and getting into some serious stuff. It is our job to take them under our wing and to show them how to walk with God. It is. It is our responsibility. So that when something comes up and when somebody comes against you, Let me explain this. Guys, especially, for me anyway, we go off of evidence. When we're looking for something bad in somebody, we go off of evidence. So, you know, I look, I look at Josh here and I say, oh, Josh, I, I just want to find a, he want, I want him, I want him to be a thug, but I, I can't figure out how he's a thug. He's not. He's not a thug. So I can't confront him and say he's a thug. You know what I'm saying? Guys work off of evidence. I, I don't know if it's the same way with girls. I, I, I get the feeling sometimes that it's more, you know, you not that way, but guys, it's, it, it, it's just that way. We want evidence. And so if we don't have evidence, we can't come before somebody and confront them. And Paul says, Titus, I want you to represent. I want you to represent me. I want you to represent Christ. And I want you to show these guys how to live so that when people come up and they oppose you, they oppose your message, they oppose how you live, They'll actually be ashamed because they don't have any proof and they've got nothing bad to say about you. This is how we need to live. 
as leaders. Leaders invest in others. Now notice, have you noticed the theme here? This self-control, verse 6, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. He talked about it with the the women and the men as well. Be self-controlled. This is... This is something that a leader has to have. A leader has to be self-controlled. That's your your second point. A leader must be self-controlled. If you don't have self-control, then you're going to squander your leadership so fast. People will never look up to you because you've got nothing to look up to for. Self-control is a requirement being a leader. A leader invests in others and a leader has self-control. Let's finish out verse 9 and 10. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. Let's replace the word slaves with employees. How about that? Teach employees to be subject to their masters, to their bosses in everything. To try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about our God, about God our Savior, attractive. Once again, it's not about us. It's all about our Heavenly Father. It's about our Savior. It's about God. Now listen, tell me in your, where, where you work. If you work in a corporate environment of some sort, or you go to school, or whatever it may be. Tell me this isn't true. If you are humble, and you are obedient, and you are trustworthy, tell me people don't look up to you. Tell me your boss doesn't look up to you. If if you are following Christ and you represent these qualities, people are going to look up to you because you stand out. While, While you are trying to further other people's careers or you're trying to help and encourage other people or the or the company itself, other people are trying to promote themselves. Other people are trying to climb the ladder. And because of that, there are, one in, there, there are 100 million people out there like that. You are one in a million. And you stand out. And because of that, people look up to you. When I, um, when I played baseball, um, we moved. Uh, this was back when I was in high school, junior high. We moved from a little town, LaGrange, Georgia, which was a rabid baseball town. I mean, like foaming at the mouth baseball town. Um, and we moved to Columbus, Georgia, which was a bigger town. Eh, they liked baseball, but it wasn't that big of a deal. I missed the cutoff for my age group. Um, and when I did that, uh, I, had to, I had to get bumped down into the lower age group, which I wasn't thrilled about, but okay, it was just one year uh, above, and that's so, okay, I can deal with it. So I'm playing baseball and, with, with these younger kids, and I'm just lighting it up. And I mean, it wasn't because I was you know, just that much better. It was because they pitched slower, you know, that kind of thing. And I was just, I mean, I was killing these kids. I played catcher, and I would just gun these jokers down. You know, when they tried to steal, I'm just like, please, you know, and I'd, I'd, I'd shoot these guys down like crazy. I loved it. But all at the same time, you know, it wasn't my peers. It was one year younger, and when you're 12, 13 years old, that's a big difference. Um, but one thing I noticed, and one thing I realized was this. I was productive. 
my team won the uh, the championship. I was the MVP. Whoop de doo! You know, it was it was great. It would have been greater if it had been with my peers, but I took it. It was nice. Pizza afterwards, you know, cool. And and so so I noticed that all of the guys looked up to me. It didn't have anything to do with how I acted or or what I did. I mean, I didn't. I wasn't punk or anything like that, but it had to do with the fact that I produced, and it had to do with the fact that I cared about my teammates, and when I had a good hit, we were all high-fiving, and when they got a good hit, we were all high-fiving, it wasn't about me, it was about the team, and because I was productive, and because I played team first, at least I, I think I did, people looked up to me, these other kids looked up to me. And so it was really, when I look back, it was one of the greatest seasons of my baseball career, which ended tragically in high school. <sighs> so, um, but listen, you need to understand, you need to understand, as an employee, your employer is looking up to you. And listen, you are leading your employer. When you are productive and you are humble, you have the ability to share Christ and they will listen to you. Because you represent something that they do not. Now, you are a leader. You are a leader because Christ has made you a leader. You are a leader that when people look at you, they look through you and they see Jesus. You are a leader. And, and listen, you can do a lot of stuff here, but this is one of the things one of the only things that you can take to heaven. Y'all with me? Ain't nothing you can take to heaven except for those you invest in. When you invest in others, let me ask you this. We'll close with this, this question. When you invest in others, when you get to heaven, will you be standing shoulder to shoulder with all those people that you've invested in because Christ is invested in you Or will you be standing alone wondering where everybody is? I don't know how heaven works out. Hypothetical. But will you be standing with all of the guys, all of the girls that you have invested in, that you have led to Christ, that you have talked to, or will it just be you and God and you say, God, you're enough, but where is everybody? I want to challenge you. Invest, invest, invest. Pour yourself out until you are exhausted. God has made you a leader. Pour yourself out. Share with others everything God has shared with you. There's no reason, there's no reason that we need to let it die with us. Jesus Christ gave everything for you, including his life. And he wants us to do the very same thing. Father, I pray I pray, I pray that you will teach us, show us those around us that need your love, that need you. God, I pray that we don't invest just to make ourselves look good because it's not about us. It's all about you. Father, I pray that you give us opportunities to share about who you are how much you love us, what you did for us on the cross, how you are still alive today. God, show us these people 
and give us the courage to just step out and say, let's go to lunch. And then just pour into these people. Father, I pray that as leaders, you will use us to further your kingdom, to make yourself known. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.